Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt and they were wandering through the desert for 40 years. And in that 40 years time, they had to depend on God. God gave them food. God gave them sandals that didn't wear out. God would be the pillar of smoke by day and a fire at night, just so that they knew which way to lead. They were completely and totally dependent upon God. And that was exactly where he wanted them to be so that he could manifest his goodness and his fatherhood to them. Well, my guest today is Caleb Hires. And Caleb has just written a book called Living in Dependenceville. He is an associate pastor and a minister of music for Grow Life Church out of Tampa. He is an awesome worshiper, and he is an amazing individual. So just welcome. Welcome, Caleb, to Touch by Prayer. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is this book, because we've kind of talked about it off air. This book is a game changer. This is, um, this is kind of taking what some churches say that you're not supposed to ask God for everything, that you're supposed to just, you know, do as much as you possibly can. This is changing things. How did you come to this realization? Yeah, well, it was a, it was out of a very desperate place, you know, which is common to these type of things, I guess, you know. Uh, just as you said, the Israelites in a desperate place in the wilderness, you know, 2013, 2014 was a desperate time in my life. And um, my then wife had left me and I was holding the bag with a lot of things and trying to figure it out. And I'm a, I was a, an associate pastor at a church in Plant City. And um, one day towards the end of the year in 2014, the Lord just said, changes are coming. I'm drawing you from this place. And he led me to put in my two weeks' notice and give up all of my income and just completely throw everything out the door just to follow him into this place that I have now, that I learned to call Dependenceville. So I laid down that job and I took up a volunteer position at a church in Brandon. Um, and I basically became a full time volunteer. And the Lord just through different, you know, we could go on and on, but different experiences and times with the Lord with just me alone with Him saying, what the heck am I supposed to do? You know, I'm a worker. I want to work, you know. And um, He just said, I want you to have a go a year with no income. And so I said, okay, and I actually depleted my savings account and everything because I felt like He was telling me to give a first fruits offering, just like, you know, it's kind of backwards sounding, but the Israelites got to the promised land and gave a first fruits offering. And so I... I literally started out at zero, and the Lord said, he gave me this whole outline for a book and said, I don't want you to just write the book, I want you to live the book. So that was 2015, and he showed me the word independence when I was with a friend. He, I was talking about all this stuff that God was calling me to, and he showed me the word independence, like we're, you know, anyone who's independent, like the American ideal is to be independent. You know, we grow up, we want to be independent. And he showed me the word, and it broke apart right before my eyes, and it said, it said the I-N went left and the dependence went right. It said, no, you're in dependence. You're always in a place of dependence upon me. And he just started unwrapping the truth of that. And through 2015, I went on this crazy adventure of I went to five countries, um, got married. I was given a car. I went on two honeymoons. I paid off a small credit card bill. 
and I paid all my bills on time, and I had bills. And that was all with no income and out of obedience to the Lord. So that's kind of how this whole thing came about. And while on the journey of it, I wrote the book and gave me all these metaphors. So that's kind of the birthing point of it, and it's been crazy. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what's so beautiful about it is that there's that scripture. It says you get not because you ask not. And, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I've been asking, well, but are you still doing? Because I think that Mm. when we stop, you know, somebody once said that God will let you do what you can do, what you can't do, he will do, which Mm. I, I thought that was beautiful. I said, okay, that makes sense. So we're not supposed to just sit on our rumps and not do anything that we're supposed to be the hands and the feet and, and still do, but he's going to do and open up these opportunities. But what's interesting about what you did is you let go of anything that you could have done depending mm-hmm. completely on him. That's a very different thing than, than still like is praying and asking God, please help me, please help me, please help me. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? And you Through faith, you gave it out. Voice, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so what are some of the... What were some of the really incredible ways that God like blessed you with provision? Because provision to me is not just monetary, like provision could be a place to live and and provision could be somebody inviting you to dinner or it could be, you know, somebody giving you shoes or whatever, whatever that need is. So how did he bless you in those, in those areas? Well, speaking financially, only a handful of people at my church really knew the full extent of what I was doing. Uh, I didn't broadcast, you know, that I quit. I have no income, you know. I just started, I just really told only the people I needed to tell, it was a need-to-know basis, and I was at the church all the time, and so people thought I was just paid to be there, but I wasn't, you know. And so the financial stuff, absolutely, like you're saying. But then, as well, at the end of 2015, right after I uh, tendered my resignation at that church, I went to a um, I went to a conference in Clearwater where Georgie and Vanoff was speaking. I never heard him speak in person, but I'd seen him on YouTube and stuff. And he um, starts talking about this trip to Israel, and he says, you know, if you can get off work and you just need the money to go, then stand up. We're going to pray for you, and I'm, you're going to get the money to go on this trip. And I was like, well. I don't technically have any hours, and I definitely need the money because I don't have an income. So I stood up, and I wanted to go to Israel. Who doesn't, you know? And especially with the ban-offs, you know? So I just stood up. He prayed very quickly, and then he said, give him the money, whatever. I sat down, and then he preached for an hour. I walked out into the lobby, and a stranger from Kentucky walks up to me and hands me a $3,000 check because the Lord told me to send you to Israel. So... I got sent on this trip, you know, in February to Israel. That was the first of of five different countries, four different trips that I went on that year. Um, And so I would say, yes, the provision of the finances happened immediately and supernaturally. However, I I could go on and on about the actual, the moments I've had with the Lord of Revelation while in Israel, while in Bulgaria, while in Turkey, you know, while in Greece and all these different places and seeing myself co-crucified with him in, in Bethlehem, you know what I mean? Like, just incredible things and visions and revelations from the Lord that are way more precious than, you know, dollars that got me there, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. You know? so it's both and. So the, would, would you ahead. mind sharing some of those, if they're not too personal, would you mind sharing some of the, some of the things that happened in Israel? We'll, we'll kind of start there because I, I think when, when God starts a work in you, when he starts to show you things, when he starts to do things, uh, I think that as we start to share those with others, other people get really excited because they're like, me yeah. too, me too. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, so if you wouldn't mind sharing some of them. Of course not. And the, one of the most, there were a couple of pivotal things that happened on that first Israel trip. I've been to Israel twice now and incredibly blessed to have done that. But on that first trip, it was the, uh, I believe it was the, yeah, it was the first morning we were there. So we got in at night. With the very first morning, we're staying staying at the Jakar Palace in Bethlehem, um, and Winnie Banoff is teaching, and Brian Simmons was also there, lead author of the uh, translator of the Passion Translation, and so it's like a one-two punch, you know, and they're both teaching, and Winnie's talking about. You know Romans six, seven, and eight, which they, is theirs, like from heaven to to give an impartation of that revelation of being co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected. And I grew up um, Southern Baptist, so which is probably hard for a lot of people to believe if you know me now. But I grew up in a cessationist worldview that said the gifts were not for today, that God doesn't speak to you today because I would be adding to Scripture, and obviously that's just ridiculous when you actually read Scripture. However, that's that's where I grew up. So I was in this, I was in this unlearning thing for a few years, you know, um, since 2012, really. And when my mom got miraculously healed of 30 years of chronic pain through me, and it was just the first time I seen a miracle. So anyway, I'm there, and when he's talking about being co-crucified, and I just, I'm like, I'm starting to feel like lightheaded and all this stuff, and somebody puts their hand on me, and I'm under the front front row of chairs, like my head is under the front row, I'm in the second row, in the fetal position, and I'm in this vision, I don't, I mean, everything in the room got kind of quiet, I I went into this vision where I saw uh, Calvary, kind of like it's depicted in the Passion of the Christ, you know, when the three crosses are on the hill and everything, and and I'm like at a bird's eye view, and I'm starting to zoom in from above, and I see Jesus in the middle, and the two thieves and everything. As I'm getting closer, I see Jesus actually face down on the cross, and don't don't call me a heretic yet. This is just how it was to me, you know. I zoom in closer and kind of go to a side view, and I can see something's underneath Jesus, and I get closer and closer, and Jesus looks like what Psalms 22 says, a worm and no man, all of his bones are out of joint, just gruesomely, morbidly battered, you know. And I get closer and closer, and I see what is underneath Jesus on the cross, and it's me. And I'm face-to-face with Jesus on the cross, and I am shouting and screaming and everything, and he is somehow comforting me and saying, it's okay, I've got this, it's going to be okay. And so I, I see this moment, and it, it will never be taken from me. I saw myself co-crucified. The nail went through, you know, his hand through my hand through the wood, and that's, you know, that's a diversion from what I was taught. I was taught I was the guy nailing the nailing Jesus to the cross. I was taught that I was the guy putting the thorns on his head. But Scripture in Romans 6 and Galatians 2 teaches that, no, I was up there with him. My old man died with him, you know. And I was co-crucified with him, co-buried, and then co-resurrected. I had to be carried out from the room to the bus. I could not walk. I was completely 
I was I was wailing, crying, and did not care if I was being loud or not. I was it was a small room too, so I had to be helped onto the bus, and I just I will never be the same from that moment. So seeing that reality, having it having it in my in my mental eye, you know what I mean. Allowing the Lord the Lord gave me a gift that day of of seeing it, you know what I mean. And blessed are those who do not see and still believe. I get that, but I just I got to see it. I got to see my co-crucifixion, <laughs> and since then I can't get away from it. I can't, you know, anyone, you know, who talks, you know, in certain languages need to change, but I won't go into all that. But my language changed, and I, I stopped believing that my old life, my old man had authority over me, and I started believing that I was raised to walk in newness of life, that is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me, you know, that Christ in me is the hope of glory, and that I'm a vessel for His purposes. I'm a child of God. Like, all of that just clicked in me. Stuff I knew, but, you know, it became more real. So that was one of the experiences that forever changed my life. Wow. You know, what? Yeah. what's really interesting about it is, you know, the couple of verses is that you have to die. You have to die mm-hmm. to yourself. And I, I think that was such a, a beautiful description of what Jesus was saying is like, look, I, I have this, I took this for you, but you yeah. have to you have to die to yourself so that you can be yeah. reborn because he had right. to die in order to become something new, to become a promise. He had, yeah. so it's almost like, you know, when we bake a cake, it has to go into the oven. Otherwise it stays yep. the same. And if it stays the That's same, it. it's going to get yucky, you know, but by going into the oven, a transformation occurs. So it's, it's sort That's of it. like the same thing. Like sometimes it, you know, people complain about, you know, going through the fire but fire mm. refines and fire yeah. purifies. And it's not that God does these things. Please don't misunderstand that because we have a very good father. Bad stuff happens mm. because we live in a fallen world. But as mm. we start to die to our own comforts and our own ways. See, I think that's sometimes where the trials come in because we have an old way of thinking. So we go back to the old mm. ways and in the old ways we get hurt but I think when we start to think differently, we don't tend to do those same things. Do you know what I mean? That's it. And I, and I think that he, that's what he protects us from. Because, mm. and, and I think, you know, the other thing is that, you know, there's that scripture, oh, death, where is your sting? Because once you've been, once you die to Christ, <laughs> you can't be killed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's it. Absolutely. You're done. You've been resurrected. You're now with him in heavenly places. You're seated with him in heavenly places. You have authority in heaven, you know? Like, everything that, that God has said has to come after the crucifixion. I mean, it's not just his crucifixion. It's ours. That's, that, that's a really, that's a beautiful, wow, that's a big revelation. So what were some of the other yeah. things that you, you had revelation about in Israel? Because I'm absolutely dying to go. I really want to go. Oh, you must go. That's what I tell everyone. They say, what was Israel like? I say, you need to go. That's all I yeah. say. <laughs> like, yeah. no words. There are no words. Well, the, you know, in, also in Israel, on that same trip, I got a word about my wife I was going to meet. Actually, from Winnie Banoff, she broke the golden rule about prophesying over marriages and stuff. That's kind of a joke among them. You know, they don't, they just joke about that. But um, she gave a perfect description of my wife. And then 10 days later, I met her, and two days later, we agreed we were getting married, and we got married that October, things like that. So some really cool stuff on that trip. But 
really in the um, in later in the year uh, when I went to Bulgaria with with the band. Also, and this is all throughout the book as testimonies, kind of supporting the the metaphors that the Lord gave me. Because um, it's kind of cool, he gave me the outline and the metaphors and everything for this this place called the Peninsula, and then he gave me all these testimonies that just to prove it kind of to me and just as a personal story, you know. So I get to Bulgaria and we're there and we're in the gypsy hood um, with the Banoffs and we're we're feeding them um, watermelon and we're in Kazanlok, which if you've seen Finger of God, yep. it's the same place there. They go and feed watermelon. Now, isn't same that place. the isn't that the dump? place the dumpsters where were they oh no that's um that's a gypsy huts where they're like yeah, it's almost is... like uh made out of cardboard it's like thin oh, yeah. pieces of cardboard that they they are each person is in like this little cubicle kind of thing yeah they've built their homes out of the garbage out yeah. of the out of the throwing stuff on the side of the road yeah it's a gypsy hood they they're hated by the government they're a problem with the people they have a reputation for stealing things like that and and they're really just people that have been forsaken. And, you know, when you feel like an orphan, you get called an orphan. When you're told you're an orphan, you get you rejected like an, like an orphan. Yeah. You act like an orphan. So we come in with the Father's heart and break all that with just a hug. You know, it's we, when he calls it hug evangelism, it's great. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, we're in the, the hood in Kazanlok, and um, we're cutting up watermelons. I'm doing the best not to chop my fingers off because they're very important to me. I'm a guitar player. But I got this big knife, and I'm cutting these watermelons up. And Winnie grabs me and says, hey, do you want to sing for some huffers? And I was like, what is a huffer? <laughs> I didn't even know what she meant. She's like, yeah, come on. And she grabs me. And she, like, I grab a guitar, and she takes me out there, and she pulls me up to this, this guy with a hood over his head and... um. She starts clapping her hands and stuff, and I start playing my guitar, just kind of going along with it. And he's got a, a bag full of, you know, uh, spray paint. He's huffing the paint. I just put two and two together. I was like, oh, that's what a huffer is, you know. And so I, I'm singing, um, and I just start singing. He doesn't speak English, but I start singing, you know, um, he's the breath in your lungs, he's the life in your veins, you know, all these type of prophetic declarations over him on the spot, because when Mama Winnie says, sing, you sing. You just do just happens. He's putting you in the pot, so putting you on the spot to do it. And while this is all going on, um, an elderly man, I don't know how old he was, he was, had to be um, older than 60, elderly man with a cane just comes out of seemingly nowhere. He had hobbled up, but came out of nowhere and he collapsed, literally on my feet, collapsed. And Winnie and I, you know, sit down really quick in the dirt with him and well, Winnie first, and I'm kind of shocked. She picks him up and everything, and he's he's bloodied, he's bruised, he's covered in paint. Um, later, we kind of ascertain that he must have been either attacked or just beat up by the other huffers. And so he's he's come towards the music, he's come towards the, the commotion to just try and get some watermelon, I guess, and some sustenance. He collapses either out of you know exhaustion or something else, and but he's on the ground, and Winnie immediately gets down there and picks him up and is sitting with him. And I, I just, I didn't know what else to do. So I just sat down in the dirt and started singing. And they had taught us um, how to say, Jesus loves you in Bulgarian. And so I just started singing, which is just, Jesus loves you. 
and the most beautiful thing in the world happens. Oh, I'm sorry, this man's blind, by the way. Um, he's blind, he's bloody, he's covered in paint, he's exhausted, and he's collapsed on the dirt. So I start singing over him, and all the children gather around because they can hear their language. They start singing, You're in some of them, some of them in harmony, you know? Like, and there's like all of a sudden this chorus of these children singing over this elderly man. And when he's just holding him and rocking back and forth, they've given him soup now, they've given him watermelon. I've never seen someone eat watermelon that fast in my life. And I just had this raw moment with the Lord of just reality that that man was me at one point. The reject of the rejects, you know, my, like these gypsies are rejected by the people there. And these are the these guys, the huffers, are the rejects of the reject, you know. So even within the 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 circle of people who have been outcasted, you know, there are outcasts among the outcasts, if that makes sense. And this guy's one of them. And I just saw a beautiful picture of the gospel to where I I was that guy, you know. Ephesians two, one through two, I believe, says we were dead in the ways we once walked and the transgressions in which we once lived. And I was that. I was that outcasted, just kicked out, the reject of the reject guy, you know what I mean? And the Lord came in, gave me some watermelon, sang me a song, and held me in the dirt and said, that's not who you are, you're my son, I love you. And so as I'm singing, I'm just getting this this unlocking in me, and I'm, I'm really getting broken about just how this is the love of God, you know, in Christ Jesus, that you would go and you would get in the dirt with the outcast of the outcast and comfort them and give them something to eat. Later, another worship leader there who had kind of, I'd gotten, a, I'd befriended him or whatever. He's he's in the corner. I found him later. He's crying. And he, um, Bulgarian men don't cry, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the most important part. The old man listening to his children starts weeping and starts saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is beautiful. He's weeping and crying. So all that added to the, just the heart strings being pulled. This other worship leader said to me later, he said, he said, he's crying, and Bulgarian men don't cry. And he says to me, I say, what's up, man? And he says, I did not know that I could love like that. And he's just simply talking about sitting in the dirt, singing a song over an outcast. And he's, he said something to the extent of, this is what my life is for, to, to comfort those who are not comforted, to give hope to the hopeless. And he just got... Correct. So that messed me up even more. So just layers of this stuff, you know, I could go on and on about other people in that same scene and all of that. So even though we didn't, you know, we prayed for him, there was eyes open, things like that. We didn't see that, but I have this feeling, this, this, um, this, impl- I don't know, this impression that there was a bigger miracle on display. It was a miracle of acceptance and of sonship and of just adoption in that moment by one one queen in the dirt, you know what I mean? That's that's the you know the model of servanthood that I see in the life of Yeshua and the life of the generals of God like Georgie and Winnie. So that yeah. is so. I'm a mess. I'm just crying because that <laughs> is no seriously. That is just beautiful. I don't think I've ever cried untouched by prayer. Seriously, <laughs> that that was so beautiful because I actually could see it. As you were describing yeah. it, I could see it. I saw the entire thing and I saw the old man falling and I, and I just saw, but the, the most important thing was the love. Like they yeah. don't even understand the love. Yeah. And, I, and that's, that's, I think the hardest part 
when you have been so captured by the love of Jesus, when you have been so transformed by the love of Jesus, when you see a fake or you see somebody else who's not displaying that love, but yet is claiming to be a son and claiming to be uh, somebody sent by Jesus, but you don't see that love, man, you mm. get you get angry. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't mean no, to be it, mean or anything. It, messes with you. it does. It totally messes with yeah. you. And then so so then we have to sit here and say, okay, Lord. So what do we do? And you, and and his response is, pray for them. Pray yeah. that that they get to feel what you feel, because mm. it really is about surrender. See the the crucifixion. Yeah. Jesus went willingly, <laughs> and yeah. and the crucifixion. Like when you when you saw yourself up, you were there willingly. God didn't mm-hmm. put you on that cross with Jesus nope. on top of you. That was your heart, and He was just showing showing you what you've done. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I love Romans eight seventeen in the Passion Translation that it's the verse that says. Uh, if we suffer with him, we'll also be glorified with him. But in the Passion Translation, because it's co-suffer, co-glorify in the Greek, which is union, um, he says, we'll be we'll experience being co-glorified with him if we accept his sufferings as our own. So saying his cross was enough, his sacrifice was enough, it was the, the, you know, the replacement for me. He stood in my place, but not just for me, but as me. And that's what I was being for sure. So well, I agree with you. If you really think about like provision, like provision mm. is love. Like that's, that's really what it is. I mean, we, we can sit there and, and, and glamorize it and we can, we can put it into different categories, but if you really think about it, provision is love. Yes. You know, Amen. Jesus was our provision. Oh, that's so good. Come on. <laughs> that Come on. was so good. Jesus was our provision because God so yes. loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes. That's it. He gave. He, it yeah. wasn't like, you know, here, <laughs> you can borrow him. <laughs> right. No, I'm going to give him to you willingly. Like that, yeah. that's true provision. Because I, I think that sometimes, you know, like, especially when you go, I, I've never been, well, that's not true. I, I went to Poland and I, I mm. saw, I saw some poverty. I didn't see the poverty that I've seen, like in the movies, the finger of God and, and furious love and, and some of these places. And, but, but the, the beautiful thing is that I can be in New, New Jersey and I can see, I can see people with lack. I can see people hurting. I can see oh, yeah. like the, the destitution and the hopelessness and it breaks my heart. And I, I was having a conversation with one of my spiritual sons today. And I, I said that I, I have so died to what I think is right, that if I couldn't minister, if I couldn't speak to people, if I couldn't love people, it would be like the breath would be taken out of me. Wow. Yeah. Because I think that when you get into that place in that place of love and that place of sonship, daughtership, that place of intimacy, where you become mm-hmm. one with the father, you become one with the son, you become one with the Holy spirit, that, that you hear his thoughts, you feel his heart, like yes. you're wrecked for life. Like you can't oh, yeah. go back. you know no undoing once you're undone absolutely absolutely (laughs) and so there's it's it's so beautiful for for this book to be like really kind of wooing you know the children come to me my kids because i have everything prepared for you and that's That's like that's been his 
I, I mean, if you've been listening to like different stuff, the different feeds on like Facebook and you've been listening to different periscopes, you know, there's been a similar string of messages, which is really about the father's about to give to his kids. And, yep. and it's it's been like a heart cry. And, and so everybody's thinking like we're in the money, <laughs> you know, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but it's it's so much more than that. It's yeah. so much more. He's going to give you the lost. Oh, this is so good. He's going to give you the broken. He's yeah. going to give you the destitute because that's his yep. heart cry. And he's going to provide for you along the way. That's it. You know, because as you're sent, like the disciples were sent and they were told not to take anything with them. Exactly. That, that's just like the Israelites. If you really think yep. about it, it's a parallel. It is. Right? Yep. So, okay. And so that's the word, and, and, and so this is the thing. So now you're, you're going to these different countries. You're being wrecked constantly yeah. <laughs> by the love of God. You're being wrecked in, in how he's blessing you in seeing how he blesses others, how he blesses you in your provision and in like giving you, you know, stuff that you need and helping you pay your bills. But I, yeah. I think it's that the other thing is, is that leaning on your father. And the, and the, the thing that I keep seeing is like, you know, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved most, John, yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that he says that. I love that. that I, yeah. It's one of my favorite things because think about it. Like out of all the disciples, he was the only one who knew who he was. Yep. He was the only one that knew that Jesus loved him and loved him. And the, the one that Jesus loves. Yes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so you can, you can almost see Jesus like laying back, you know, kicking back. They're all talking whatever. And John like laying against him, just like a brother or, or like you would with your father. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like that intimacy, that, that like knowing because, you know, he didn't worry. John, John didn't worry about anything. Nope. He just went (laughs) because he knew everything was going to be taken care of. And that, I believe, is a, if I can interject, I'm sorry, but, but the, um, it's a picture of what's going to be fulfilled in the last days of Deuteronomy 33.12. It says, of Benjamin, he said, let the one the Lord loves rest between his shoulders, for he shields them all day long. But the beloved of the Lord rests between his shoulders, for he shields them all day long. And the word, the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. So when we when we accept our sonship, when we accept that we are the son of his right hand, we get to rest secure in him, for he shields us all day long. We rest between his shoulders, John, with his head, his head on his heart. And that's the cry of this book, really, is to put your head on the heart your, of, the, of the heartbeat of Jesus and be so close to him that you know he doesn't have to shout at you. He can just whisper because you're right there next to his mouth. And you're, you're really... You're being invited, I believe, by the Lord. Even the people listening to this right now are being invited by the Lord to rise up and become the John 5:19 generation that the world is desperately needing. That Jesus said in John 5:19, "Truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing." So, in order to see what the Father is doing, you have to be aware of the Son. You have to put your head on the chest of the Son and listen to His heart, for the Son is the Father. If you see Him, you've seen the Father. So that, that whole idea of, of being completely dependent upon God, you know, one of the other goals of the, bo- the book is to win back that word dependence. Like, it's a dirty word in America. 
you know, like I'm not dependent upon anybody, you know. Well, yeah, you actually are. Try breathing without God's help for a minute, you know. You're always dependent upon Him. It's those who celebrate their dependence and acknowledge it that walk into this amazing adventure of knowing God and knowing His Son and being led by the Spirit. Just like Romans 8 says, the mature sons of God are those led by the Spirit of God. So that's the invitation, really, of the book. That's the heart of the book. And it's done through this metaphor of a city that we're becoming, but that's that's really the idea, the whole idea behind it. And you're hitting it on the head of being able to just really discern the love of God and express it in, you know, for yourself and for others. So, Well, and, you know, when you think about, like, okay, so let, let's talk about some of these, like, you know, because there have been lots of, you know, Smallville. That's where Superman lived, you know? Sure. <laughs> you know? I mean, let, no, seriously, like, there, there is a reason that they're called something. Like, each yeah. town has a significance. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And there's a reason for the name. Like, if you go yeah. back and if you start to research, you know, the town that you're in, find out what that name is, what it meant, who it, where it came from. Because it wasn't, it just doesn't pop up. There's a right. there's something significant behind it. But the fact that this is called Dependenceville is yeah. is really it's really about surrendering and it's really about acknowledging where every good gift comes comes from. That's it. Do you know, and it and it comes also from a place of like sonship and daughtership. And it's almost That's like, it. oh my gosh, Caleb, this is like a prodigal son book. <laughs> That is yeah, so cool. That is a so it's like the 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 son leaves Dependenceville <laughs> yep. and goes off into the world and then realizes, oh my gosh, I'm eating with pigs. Ah, I'm going back to Dependenceville, where I get a ring and I get a robe and I get my slippers and I get and Come we on. and we kill the fatted calf. Heck yeah, yep. that's it. That is so cool. That is so cool. And you know, the whole thing about um. Like this next move, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, we just had a Azusa Fest out in California. Yeah, yeah. There was like that. Then there was this big outcry in Washington, Washington, D.C., yeah. you know, for like prayer, you know, and there's there's like so the East Coast and the West Coast were both praying the same day that there's a cry yeah. from the kids. But it, it's also yeah. about, OK, guys, like, OK, you want me to come? You want me to move? Fabulous. Give me the rain. Let yep. me take That's you. It. Let me take you. Stop trying to drive yourself. Let me just drive. Because one of the things that, that happened to me quite recently is, is for the first time, and people have, since this happened to me, other people have now told me that this has happened to them. But mm. I, I danced with Jesus. I had a vision. I was praying, and I had this vision where I was dancing with Jesus. And Jesus was dancing with me. And at first, I couldn't even look at him. Because and I've mm. I've seen Jesus, but I only only saw him from his shoulders down. Never saw his face. Mm. And so the the first thing is I'm I'm dancing with Jesus. I hear him say, "Dance with me." I'm like, "Okay." So I'm going to dance with him, and I could feel his hand like on the small of my back. And he lifted up mm. my chin so that I could see him. And I remember my head like my head screaming out, "Look in his eyes! Look in his eyes!" Because his, you know his eye, the color. Everybody talks about the color of Jesus's eyes. So yeah. I, I looked at the color and they look blue, but then they look green, but then they look blue. But then I looked deeper and all I could see, Caleb, was love. Mm, and somebody wow. said that the color of Jesus's eyes is love. It's not yeah. a color we understand, but it's the color of love. 
And so we were yeah. dancing and, the, and, and Jesus started to dance with me and we, we were dancing and it was great and everything. And he said to me, he said, Lisa, he says, let me dance with you. He says, and we're going to dance all over the place. And he says, uh-huh. if you have a strong partner, then you can trust them to lead you across the dance floor and your partner yeah. will twirl you and, and move you effortlessly. And it will be beautiful for everybody to watch. He said, but if you try to take control, it's going to be a fight and it's going to be a struggle. And eventually the the dance is going to have to stop and you're going to leave frustrated. He said, but if you allow me to dance with you, then I can move you to wherever you need to go. And I thought about it and I said, wow, because if you really think about it, like we, you know, we always say that, you know, he's going to follow us. We're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes mm-hmm. we get so wrapped up in like the agenda that we forget that he was the one who set the agenda. So he knows oh, the yeah. agenda. We just have a, we have like a download of what we're supposed to do, but he created it. Yep. And so he knows where we're supposed to go. So I, I, I think like, just like submission, when you submit yourself to your dance partner, you trust them yeah. and you let them lead you. And it's the same thing yeah. with everything. It's about submission. It is. You know, and, and even when you say thank you, you're, you're, you're aligning yourself in that submitting place of saying, there's an object of your thanks, you know. And yeah. First Thessalonians says, give thanks to God in all things. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, because you're saying, you're my source. I, I'm thanking someone, you know. I'm thanking you for something, but I'm thanking someone. So that act of submission opens that up. To receive what he has for you, absolutely. Well, you know, so so here you go. So you you you've you've written this book and you're getting ready to publish it. Which, by the way, what date is it actually coming? We don't have an actual launch date. Okay. It's in the edit right now. Okay. So that there's kind of gray areas, but it'll be out no later than September. Okay. So um, that's exciting. Pre-orders are live now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, I I just. I kind of share this with you off air, but I feel like I'm supposed to share it again, that this book, what I see, Bill Johnson, Bill Johnson wrote a book, When Heaven Invades Earth. And it was a, mm-hmm. it was a very eye-opening, life-changing book for a lot of people. I feel that Living Independenceville is going to be the same type of book. Amen. I really yeah. see that it's going, to, it's going to really open some eyes because just because your heart and the way that you write which I haven't even read yet, but, <laughs> but I, I just, I just can see like your, how you write. It's, it's, it gets, it, it gets to the point, but it also gets to the nerve. It gets right to mm. the place that it needs to affect, mm. you know, it's not just filler and fluff. It get it, right. it drives the, it drives the message home because I think, you know, it, it says, I think in Revelation, you know, it says that there's going to be all this stuff coming and, you know, people will talk about it. Oh my gosh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Yeah. You know, and yeah, those are some scary times, but you know, there's also a promise that, that God yeah. said he's going to protect his kids. Come on. Because he, he protected his kids when the plagues came to Egypt. He protected the Israelites. They did not suffer while the Egyptians did. Come on. So there is such a protection placed over his children and the same yes. protection. They also, because of prophets, 
because of Moses, because he heard from the father, they were able to protect their water. They were able to know what was going yep. on. They were able to, to, you know, um, put the blood on the door so that when, when yeah. death passed, no one would be touched. See, that's the intimacy. That's yeah. the co-laboring that we're supposed to do with Christ. Because as you just said, when we have our head rested on our father, on Jesus, we can hear those intimate details. And um, let yeah. me ask you a question in this book. Do you kind of talk about hearing the voice of God and do you kind of like break some of that stuff out? Because I think that's another people, like there's so many great, great books that are really talking about hearing from God. Oh, yeah. Translating God, Sean Bowles, The Roar by Bob Hazlitt. Highly recommend that book. Um, absolutely. There's a, a part, you know, the book's broken up actually into different, like, metaphors for the city, like the education system, the government, the energy supply, the gates, things like that, you know. And the section on the military is the worshipers. And mm -hmm. I'm a worshiper, and I, I, I have this personal belief that those who worship first are the most violently spiritual people on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, they do more damage than anyone else, you know. <laughs> so that in that section, talking about um, being led by the Spirit, I call it marching orders, you know, it's in the, the metaphor of the military. Just like David, who inquired of the Lord every time the Philistines came up against him, you know, and he said, should I go out against the army today? And he, God says, no. And then the next day, should I go out? And he says, no. And then eventually he says, yes. And then he kicks their tail. The enemy comes up again the next day, and David does this incredible thing. He asks the Lord again, hey, you know those people I beat yesterday into a retreat? Should I go out against them again today? You know? And God gives him divine strategy to go out and basically um, get them from the side, you know, that he's supposed to wait until the, he can hear marching in the treetops, and then he goes out and um, routes the enemy completely, a full victory. So David, I believe, heard the voice of God the same way we hear the voice of God. It's not like God thundered the clouds every time he talked to David. I believe there was that voice that we have, same prompting, the same guidance, you know. And so the the hearing the voice of God, there is a section on there called Marching Orders and, and getting your orders from the top, and that if you're a general of Dependenceville, then you don't send anybody out into the fray without orders directly from the top from the Father, you know, and it really is about believing the Word, that Jesus says, I am the shepherd and the sheep know my voice, you know. It's about believing Him, taking Him as Word and saying, I, if I'm a son, I have the right to hear from my Father, and, you know, or if I'm a daughter, I have the right, I have the right to hear His voice, you know, and there's not, there's no boundaries, there's no, there's actually, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we behold Him in, as in a mirror with unveiled faces, there's not even a veil. I like to um, say I'm a bride without a veil, you know, so having that access, that intimacy, that, that, that closeness to hear His voice, um, there are some practical, um, from Scripture, some practical um, tips in there, just to be still and know, and just to, to listen and to wait. And I give an example, um, if I can share one story about that whole, you know, I can do nothing on my own accord, and inquiring of the Lord. I had a friend... Um, who, while well, in 2015, I, I, after church, I talked to her, and I hadn't seen her all day, and then I was, I was sitting in a class with her right after church, and she was having severe anxiety attacks all morning, and she doesn't have anxiety and panic attacks. So she's just having all these panic attacks. She woke up with them. She's like, I'm like, are you okay? And I, she's not, obviously. 
She tells me everybody's been praying for her, nothing's working. So I just go for it. You know, I believe I, I know the heart of God for this situation is for her not to have anxiety. You know what I'm saying? So I go for it, and I, I just say, you know, be healed, anxiety, leave. I say all the things, all the things we pray. You know, I just start commanding it. I start, you know, commanding a spirit of affliction. I, I cast it out. I, I, you know, whatever. I cursed it. I did all that stuff, and nothing was changing. She was still right where she was at. She was still in that panic mode and that anxiety. She's shaking. And I just said to her, I said, hey, can you give me a minute? And she's like, sure. And I just had this instinctive, like, thing. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the son of God. I have the right to ask my dad what the heck he's doing about this right here. So I just basically said to the Lord, God, I know you don't want her to have anxiety. I know you don't want her to be having a panic attack right now. That's not your will for her. What are you doing about this? That's the key. What are you doing? Because a lot of people get caught up, like John did, with what's not going on. He's in, John the Baptist, he's in jail. He says to, to Jesus, are you the one, or should we wait for another? I'm still in jail. You're not doing, you know, and Jesus says, look what I am doing, healing the sick. Anyway, so I just said to God, what are you doing about this? And I look back at her, and crazy, God honest truth, with my open eyes, I see the word, expectations written on her forearm and then it disappears and i'm like i just told her i said hey i just saw the word expectations written on your forearm and then bang i got this huge download about her having unrealistic expectations about being a wife a sister a friend all this stuff she breaks and the panic immediately leaves her immediately so she's totally set free in that moment and so that act of inquiring of the lord like David did, you know, getting marching orders, being a, a lead worshiper that says, you're good, you're awesome, you're amazing, that's worship, you know, giving him praise, and then saying, what are you doing about this, you know, and and acting on what he shows you, that's that's the principle that I give for us in the book, to hear God, absolutely. I think that's brilliant about what are you doing about it? Because I think we get, we get to a place where we're like, Lord, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you, but he's always working on our, our behalf. He's always working behind the scenes. God is always working on something. He has angels sent. He has people sent. He has, he's preparing things. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. So there's always stuff being done. So I think to, to stop and say, what are you doing? So that, you can get an insight to what's being prepared so that you know what to expect. I think that's, that's yeah. absolutely a, a, a different way of thinking because the, the church doesn't ever ask or tell you, mm-hmm. inquire what the Father is doing on your behalf. What right. are you doing? Because I think that sometimes he's doing something and we, out of fear, out of rejection, out of whatever, mm-hmm. are doing the opposite. So we're counteracting yeah. What because we're not listening, we're not stopping. See, the, the biggest thing I, I I think Caleb like in this book I think is about rest. Is, would you say that mm-hmm. that's pretty accurate? Absolutely, Dependenceville. You enter Dependenceville and you enter His rest. Absolutely. Okay, so this is a hard, hard lesson for people to understand. Mm-hmm. I knew it was hard for me because I was trying to find rest, and I was trust me, I was the most restless person you could find. But something changed. Something happened when I started to understand. I don't. I, I think it was when I actually went to North Carolina to go and see, um, you know, a praying medic on Sid Roth, and I was with all oh, my yeah. other friends and stuff. And and then I was then the next week I was with uh, Karen Jesse Berkey. Something happened in that like 
one week, one and a half week span that changed things. Cause when I came back, I was in complete and total rest. And I don't yeah. know if it was what was prophesied over me. I don't know if it was how I would, I felt loved because I felt incredible, incredible love, but I knew it wasn't of earthly. It wasn't an earthly love. It was a father's love coming from all different directions. And wow. I was, and I, and I, it was like, I think I finally got the John thing. Yeah. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Yep. Because as we started to get closer to Easter and I was reading, I was actually reading in the book of John and I was reading where after Jesus showed up and told them to cast their nets and, and then they realized, and, and it was John who recognized Jesus because he yep. said to, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And that's when Peter jumped in. See, Peter was a mover. John, John yep. rested. <laughs> he didn't have to run after him because he knew that he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. So, That's good. but what was really interesting is they were talking about like how they were going to die. And Peter got really upset that John wasn't. And there was something mm. that, that God really showed me in that one little verse, because Jesus said, what business of it is if he should live or die of yours? Right. You know, because Peter had a fear factor. <laughs> that was his yep. thing. He had a fear factor. I'm not good enough. I'm good. You know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Where John didn't. And I, I, I think one of the interesting parts about John is they could not kill him. Right. <laughs> and, and the reason they could not kill him. Now, people will say, well, he needed to write, you know, Revelation. No, no, no. No, that's not why. Because he could have wrote Revelation before he went to Patmos. Oh, yeah. He could have done it whenever. That's not why. The reason he did not die is because when you know how much God loves you, you don't think anything bad can happen to you. Come on. That's it. That's it. You, that's it like a child. Yeah, that's it. Because why would your father do something bad to you? He would never let yeah. anything bad happen to me. Absolutely not. And, and as yeah. that fear comes in... You stop it and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm not believing this because my, my daddy's a good daddy and he would never do anything to hurt me. But that comes through the intimacy. That comes through the yeah. time. That comes through the revelation. But that comes from laying your head on Jesus's heart. That's the only that, way you get that. You don't get that exactly. through reading books. Right. But you get that in resting. Yes. And, and through and partaking of him and his word and his spirit and getting to know him. Absolutely. Well, and that's, that's the whole point of dependence, Phil. When you know well, that everything that you need is going to be there. That it, see, dependence, Phil, to me is a very, very happy place. It is. <laughs> it's a happy place, man. It, you know, it's like, okay, what's the forecast for today? Joy. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> abundance. <laughs> yep. Oh, I see. 9% chance of, of abundance. <laughs> so that, see, that's a powerful, those are powerful words. Abundance and joy yeah. and faith and trust and hope. Those are the words that we have to really deal with. You know, the Lord started to talk to me about like the, the fruit of the spirit. And he started to show me, he said, he said to me, and I did a periscope. I don't know how it turned out because I'm still kind of new with this whole periscope thing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he, he was talking to me. This is what he was talking to me about. And he said, are you getting, are you getting your fruit? 
Are you getting getting mm. enough fruit? That's what he said. Are you getting enough fruit? And I was thinking about it. And I knew he was talking about the fruit of the spirit. And what he started to show me was like the fruit of the spirit about the joy and about the peace, right? And, and the different provisions that come from having the spirit of God living inside you. Those are things that you can release. You can release peace. You can release joy yeah. because they live within inside you. Um, you yeah. know, those are the, the things, but all those, they're antioxidants against ah. the things of this world. I was like, oh, come on. That's so good. I mean, seriously, love. Love <laughs> is an antioxidant of fear because perfect on. love casts out all fear. And so one of the so things good. that I saw is I saw love and I, and I saw the fruit of love like a great big apple because it's, well, obviously it's red, but, but the apple... Like there's something about the apple because there's seeds in it so that there's a life inside of it. And so what I was saying is that, you know, share your apples with your friends, share your apples with your family, share love, give them apples, give them something that's not going to die, but that after they eat of it, there is seeds that they can leave, that they can grow, that there is going to be life inside of them. See, that's the other thing. I think that it's fruit. See, fruit has seeds. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty part. Seeds bring more life. And everything about God is about life. Everything that he does is about a life. I came to Jesus that I came to bring, to give you a life and give you a life more abundantly. Yes. You know, that's, that's dependence, Phil. He didn't yep. say, I'm just going to give you barely enough. So you're going to have to struggle nope. for the rest of your life. So you're going to be frustrated and you're not going to be happy. <laughs> you're going to be hopeless and you're going to be worrying you're going to be in fear yep. and in frustration. You're going to be in anger and you're going to be in depression. That does not live in Dependenceville. Right. I, I think that we need to do a map. Like, <laughs> of, you know, <laughs> I want to live here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Zulu. <laughs> you know, they have that, that app yeah, yeah. where you can find <laughs> your house. I want a house in Dependenceville. How about you? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Absolutely. You know? Because I think that's that that whole the whole revelation that I'm getting about this whole book is it really see that's the other thing it's about when you are a new creation in 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 Christ you no longer are the old everything's old as passes away well that includes your old address that's it it's so no longer in sin's domain that's right Romans six so then basically we we need to get I've moved. <laughs> Come on. Uh, you know, that actually would be a very clever, I'm moving to Dependenceville and put that yeah. out and send that to different people for them to order the book. Oh, yeah. That would be very fun. <laughs> Change of address. That would be fun. <laughs> I like it. Change right? Of address. The kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Yeah. Because I think you pick and choose where you want to live, right? You do. Yep. And I, and I think that also sometimes people can... People live in their past, so they're living oh, yeah. they're living in death because there's no life in your past. There's only life right. in your future. That's it. So what are some of the other topics? Because you, you talked about the worshiping, which is so good because, you know, worship is my weapon. I mean, that's a, that's scripture, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And well, the, um, we kind of we went over it without saying it, but, you know, the education system, it's called Dependence Academy, and it's for those who are have grown out of their childlike need. It's breaking those independent mindsets and just bringing it back to a sonship level and allowing them to see that their father's good and he'll, he wouldn't give them a stone, you know, 
wouldn't give them a snake, you give them bread and fish, and so, um, and likewise. And then those who have, who naturally have the childlike need, you know, if they're there in their in their life, then it's teaching them how to maintain that childlike need, you know. And sons don't have to ask before they go to the refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to say, "Hey, Dad," you know. They live in the house. They don't have to say, "Hey, Mom," "Hey, Dad," can I? And I have this piece of steak in the refrigerator, you know what I mean? Like, it's in the father's house, you just, the refrigerator's not locked, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So there's that, and then the government with the servant kings and queens, and they're coronated by the least of these, you know, the ones they serve actually give them their crown, you know, and um, let me think. Um, also can can gate, we stop you know, just the for there for friends. one second about the, the government? Because I think sure. that they're... There is such, there's still a mindset. And then Lord really talked to me about this is he really talked to me about servant versus sonship because, you know, everybody says I'm a servant, I'm a servant. And they, everybody thinks, Oh, I'm, I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. And the Lord really showed me that servants are servants out of fear. Yeah. Because they fear that if they don't do enough, they're going to get replaced. They're going to get yelled at. They're going to get punished. He started to show me these things, Caleb. And I was like, whoa. He says, but a a son or a daughter will serve out of love. Exactly. Like if you have, I have children. And if somebody comes to my house, my daughter will serve them because she loves me. Because she's part of the home. And so she just releases what we have here. She'll get them something to drink. She'll offer them something. She'll, She'll take their coat She'll smile and she'll have conversation with them. Now, my 17-year-old, yeah. not so much, but that's because he's 17. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? But my daughter, my daughter will do sure. those things, but she does them out of love. Now, th- but the servant does things out of fear or motivated by getting something. Right. A it's son or a daughter lack. doesn't do that. Yeah. And so the, the kings and queens of Dependentsville, which are the government, they are, they're the servant kings and queens. And the thing about being a king who serves is you have unlimited resources. So Bill Johnson said um, recently at a Voice of the Apostles event I was at, he said we're, we need to learn to rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. That's good. You know, we rule with the heart of a servant, meaning my, my position here, I'm going to humble myself and therefore be exalted. But we're going to serve with the heart of a king meaning I have everything you need, and that's why I'm coming to serve you. Not so that you bow down to me, but so that you get what you need so I can be a resource to you. So that's the paradigm of the kings and queens of dependence still. Out of that revelation of I've been given everything needed according to, to live life and godliness, you know, First, Second Peter, I believe, says that. So I've been given everything. I'm a, I'm a royal priesthood, and because I have everything, I can serve you well. And it's not out of a place of fear, like you said, it's out of a place of, I've been given this, this is a gift. And so because of that, I'm able to give it to you. So you can only give what you have, you know. That's awesome. That is so awesome. This I can't wait for this book to come out. Now, you said earlier that people can actually pre-order it right now. Yep, we have a PayPal link with a, you know email receipt and everything. And a, on um, at the website, dependenceville.com. Okay, so that's um, dependenceville.com. If you guys want to order, pre-order your book, that that way you guys can, you know, change your address. Yeah. <laughs> I love that because seriously, like 
that would be the best town to live in. Absolutely. That's the best city. That's the best. The that's well a kingdom city. Dry. That's right. And it's Come a kingdom on. city, man. I mean, it's a, that's it's it. a place of joy and it's a place of refuge and it's a place of acceptance. Come on. This is yeah. a place of uh, identity. People know who they are. Can you imagine Amen. living in a world where everybody knew who they were? Come on. There would be no more like, I think I'm this. No, I think I'm this. No, I think I'm this. Right. No. You know, it's like, seriously, it's, it's like people are, are writing seesaws, but it's not their fault. It's just that they have no idea who they are. And it's so sad. Yeah. Yep. And, and there are so many lies that are going around because, sure. you know, the, the world will tell you who you are. And it, it's so important yep. for, I guess, once you start to understand who you are, then you start to know what you are. And then you know mm. what to do. And then you know where to go. Yeah. But you first have to know who you are. That's because it. if you don't know who you are, you're going to never know what to do or where to go. Come on. You know? So that's, yeah. that's the whole thing. I mean, think about it. I, I see a driver's license, right? If you don't have that yeah. identity, you can't get in the car. You can't go anywhere. <laughs> Come on. You're illegally traveling. Oh, that's so good. I like that. We have illegal travelers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that. And I think this is, um, but I think there's also some, some things. What else do you, I feel like there's some other things that you're kind of dealing with too. And it's almost like a, a world mentality versus like a kingdom mentality. It is. Yeah. And the tennis field is really, I mean, it's a place where, you know, we need to dwell in, but it's also, it's both and. It's a place where we're becoming, because we we are that city on a hill. We are the light of the world, and that it's a beacon for all men. So it's something we become, you know, and as we understand what he's called us to, like you said, understand who we are, then we can understand what we're doing. We become that image of Christ, that body of Christ, that church on the earth that ushers in the kingdom and prepares the bride for her bridegroom. So there's a lot, you know, the books, it's laced with scripture. It, it, it's everywhere. I don't think there's, you can go two paragraphs without a scripture reference. So it's, it's, it's just an invitation. It's not an exhaustive look at uh, what the kingdom would look like on the world, on the earth. You know, I'm not claiming to have written that, but it's just an invitation to begin to make a declaration of dependence upon Father God, that you are not trying to go it on your own anymore that you need him, that if Jesus needed him, you need him. You know what I mean? So it's a, it's a beautiful thing and not a bad thing. That is awesome. So if you guys are interested in checking out depend, living in Dependenceville, you can actually go to Caleb's website, which is Dependenceville.com. You can pre-order your book. The book is going to be coming out in August, uh, excuse me, in September, I think at the latest, yep. correct? So as correct. soon as we get um, a definite date, we'll definitely keep you informed. And if you, yes. now, just in case somebody wants to reach out to you, do, can they also reach out to you through Dependence? Uh, Dependenceville.com to Caleb? Yes, I can. Awesome. Yep. So if you guys have any questions or if you guys want to connect with Caleb, you can also find him on Instagram. And how would somebody follow you? Just Caleb Hires, C-A-L-E-B as in boy, H-Y-E-R-S. 
So if you want to see what Caleb is up to and what he's Instagramming, because you never know who he's going to be spotted with. So this <laughs> is <laughs> this has been so much fun. And I am so excited to read this book. I can't wait for it to be published because I am absolutely getting my change of address and I'm moving <laughs> to that destination. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for uh, for calling in, Caleb. This has just been such a blessing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and thank you guys for listening. I hope that you guys are excited about this book. Remember to go and check it out, dependenceville.com, if you want to pre-order your copy. This has just been such a blessing. I hope you guys have been blessed. This has uh, been so much fun. You know, change your address. Get a new place, get a new location, because it's time to start depending on daddy. So I hope you guys um, enjoy. Remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.